Welcome to MTSU on the Record. I'm Jenna Logue, and we're coming to you from the campus of Middle Tennessee State University in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Ken Polson is stepping down as Dean of the College of Media and Entertainment, but he's not through with MTSU, nor is he through with the continuing exploration of free speech in our democratic society and all its manifestations and attempts to truncate it. He'll be running MTSU's Free Speech Center, and he's here with us to talk about it freely, which he'll do after this. Here are some of the headlines making news at mtsunews.com, the university's news and information website. MTSU's 12th Annual Alumni Summer College recently drew 75 attendees from eight states for three days of nonstop events. Attendees experienced That's Entertainment-themed activities from the College of Media and Entertainment's Media Arts Program, the Colleges of Liberal Arts and Basic and Applied Sciences, and Murfreesboro Center for the Arts. This year's theme provided the perfect frame to share some of MTSU media arts concentrations, such as animation, mobile production, and filmmaking. One high point was attending a special performance of Footloose at the Center for the Arts, also a virtual conversation interview with the Kool-Aid Man and narrator of Swamp People, Pat Duke, a noted film and voice actor. And about 40 visiting Chinese middle school students were treated to an all-American picnic and welcomed by cheerleaders and scouts on July 14th at the home of MTSU President Sidney McPhee. The picnic was for the delegation from Hangzhou, Normal University's Dong Cheng Education Group. Aided by cheerleaders and soccer team members from MTSU, cheerleaders from Murfreesboro's Blackman High School and Central Magnet School, and members of Scouts BSA and the Girl Scouts of the USA. Chinese guests enjoyed playing cornhole, volleyball, and airplane toss, having their faces painted and other activities, including a watermelon eating competition. For MTSU News at any time, go to mtsunews.com. Welcome, Ken. Delighted to be here, Jenna. Thank you. Thank you for being a fan of the show. I am a fan of the show. It, uh, this is my second appearance. The first came uh, weeks into my tenure as dean, and and now I'm beginning this new adventure. What is the Free Speech Center? Free Speech Center is a public policy center. It's a national public policy center designed to remind Americans of why the First Amendment is so important and most specifically to alert the next generation. You know, we have a lot of issues on college campuses right now where some speakers get shouted down or disinvited. And uh, and who can blame young people for sort of being intolerant of some controversial views because what they see modeled in front of them. They see an entire country where people think free speech is yelling at each other and not listening to the other guy. We've got to turn that around. And so the, the what the Free Speech Center is about is really reminding Americans about why the five freedoms of the First Amendment serve us so well, why we need to respect those freedoms, and why we need to protect them. It's entirely nonpartisan, mm -hmm. largely educational, and for me, a heck of a lot of fun. What sort of an agenda do you have in mind for your tenure as director and, I trust, partnerships with the First Amendment Center in Nashville? Well, um, that's an excellent question. The First Amendment Center in Nashville has largely moved its operations to Washington, D.C. I see. You know, as recently as December, I was the president of the First Amendment Center. So uh, we're all good friends doing the same good work. Uh, but our focus begins here in Tennessee. 
And uh, we will partner with them. We'll do programs with them. But they have a, a significantly different emphasis now. Uh, I spent, along with John Siegenthaler, I worked for decades on these issues with John. And so what we hope to do here is is continue that good work. That he founded the First Amendment Center in 1791. He would love that. He and Thomas <laughs> Jefferson, 1991, the 200th birthday of the First Amendment. And, and so what we really do, in a nutshell, what this center does, and it, it's brand new, effective August 1, what it does is engage Americans about the First Amendment through education, information, and believe it or not, entertainment. Well, that doesn't surprise me that you would say entertainment because of your relationship with Freedom Sings. And uh, that endeavor, which uh, helps to uh, explain to people how music is used to uh, exemplify our freedom of speech in this country. Right. And and Freedom Sings is a show I, I founded, wow, 20 years ago. We have toured college campuses, and and for those of you who have not heard of it, um, it's essentially um, a narrator, me, telling the story of free speech over 200 years, using music to illustrate that. And so you talk about the civil rights movement, and you may hear this little light of mine played by an amazing Nashville-based group of all-stars. You talk about Kent State, and they play Ohio by Neil Young and Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young. Mm-hmm. You talk about music censorship and, and the women's rights movement. So you hear I Am Woman by Helen Reddy. All those things become a, a really extraordinary educational opportunity. Uh, we It's so amazing to me to be on a college campus and tell the story of Kent State and, and then the, the playing of Ohio, and I see 18-year-old kids with tears running down their, uh, their cheeks mourning those four young students who were shot in 1970 at Kent State. Music and free speech have a long history and a very powerful history. You, you know, music today and always has had a message and uh, and so the Freedom Sings legacy continues. Freedom Sings has now been recast as Shut Up and Dance. It is a new name for a new generation. Uh, Freedom Sings always sounded a little bit like I show you and I would know from our relative youth, uh, up with people. <laughs> and that meant it didn't frighten it didn't frighten college administrators, but it didn't entice young people to come. Which was highly conventional and very corny, if you're not <laughs> old enough to remember it. Yeah. Uh, anyway, Shut Up and Dance is, is actually taken from an incident involving uh, a, a woman, uh, Eartha Kitt, a prominent dancer on Broadway in the 40s and 50s, a singer, a star. In 1967, she's invited to the White House where she tells Lady Bird Johnson at a tea that the husband, her husband's war, LBJ's war in Vietnam, is immoral and killing young people needlessly. This reduces uh, Mrs. Johnson to tears. And the next day, a headlines all over America said, uh, essentially, Eartha Kitt makes Lady Bird cry. Eartha Kitt's career in America dried up for 10 years. And so this show is dedicated to people who don't shut up. Mm-hmm. People who, when they're told to shut up and sing, as were the Dixie Chicks, people who were told to shut up and dribble, as applied to the basketball players in recent years, people who were told to shut up and dance, they continue to say what they believe is Americans, and that's the American way. So Shut Up and Dance is an ironically titled song, a show, uh, also also happened to be a good big hit record three years ago by Walk the Moon. Uh, it, is, it is the same core spirit of Freedom Sings, 
but I have to admit, it's a little hipper. It's a little younger. There's more hip-hop. There's, there's Lord. There's Katy Perry. There's all kinds of contemporary songs. Same core message, though. Free speech makes America special. We'll take a break here. We'll return in just a moment. This is MTSU on the record. Specialized training in forensic science prepares tomorrow's professionals through the Forensic Institute for Research and Education, or FIRE. The Forensic Anthropology Search and Recovery Team assists law enforcement with skeletal remains at crime scenes. Legendary forensic scientists provide lectures free to the public, and high school students work realistic crime scenes each summer at our CSI MTSU camp. I'm Dr. Hugh Berryman, Director of FIRE. For more details, visit mtsunews.com. The Tennessee Civil War National Heritage Area is managed by MTSU Center for Historic Preservation. A partnership unit of the National Park Service, the Heritage Area tells the whole story of America's greatest challenge, offering assistance with Civil War and Reconstruction Era programs. Our projects include historic driving tours, museum exhibits, and nominations to the National Register of Historic Places. For all the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. We're talking with Ken Paulson, director of MTSU's Free Speech Center and dean of the College of Media and Entertainment. You've had the capacity to interact with a lot of students in, uh, in your time as dean. What is your impression of their perception? You alluded to it earlier, but what is your per, uh, perception of their perception of freedom of speech in America? Well, I have to lay the blame for this, sorry teachers, on an educational system that doesn't actually educate our, our kids uh, you know, in terms of civic engagement and how the system works. And so it's surprising, I mean, even the basics, knowing that the First Amendment protects us from government, um, these are these are core principles that we ought to be teaching. But mm-hmm. you can't blame the teachers. They are overloaded and over all these tests kind of drive what their curriculum is about. Mm-hmm. We need to do a better job of, of just giving kids the basics. Because if you don't understand that the five freedoms of the First Amendment, which include the freedom of speech, freedom of press, freedom of religion, the right to petition, and the right to assemble. If you do not know the importance of those, you're going to respect them less and embrace them less. But if you know, on the other hand, that it is what made America different from any other nation in the the history of the planet, and it's no coincidence that the most powerful, most dynamic, most creative, most compassionate country in the history of the planet is the most free. And so... When they come to college, I think a lot of students feel it's most important to protect people from hurt feelings. Mm -hmm. It's most important to protect people from ideas that they find upsetting. Uh, You hear people talking about safe spaces, and that's really, you know, America is a free speech zone, and no one can protect you from ideas with which you disagree, and you shouldn't be protected from that. You, You build up some calluses, and, you know, sometimes somebody will say something you disagree with, but it will make you think. Free speech in the marketplace of ideas makes all of us smarter. You also alluded earlier to uh, people being afraid uh, to speak freely on college campuses and to book speakers who might say something controversial. Stand-up comics have complained that they can't play colleges anymore because if they work blue, as they say in the trade, or they have controversial content, the university won't book them. I'm old enough to remember when Steve Martin and Martin Mull got their starts as stand-up comics by working colleges. What happened? 
Well, I think there's a couple things. You, you got to remember that Steve Martin and Martin Mull were not Lenny Bruce. No, they weren't. And Lenny Bruce wasn't playing colleges. I, I think I think it's uh, I think it's a little overstated when 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 co- comedians say they can't play colleges. Um, you know, colleges have never actually booked blue acts. That's that. You know, the George Carlin was not that. Mm-hmm. Um, George Carlin was an intellectual. You know, his seven dirty words were all about exploring the the history of those words and their impact on free society. It wasn't for the sake of saying those things. So, on one level, you know, mission of a university is to have an event where as many students will come and enjoy it as possible, and to make them think. So I can see where there would be pushback against a comic who uses graphic sexuality and is not in any way not thinking about what the audience is and what the audience is there to do. Uh, and I also don't think there are a lot of political opinions suppressed. Uh, but I will say that that um, what we're seeing throughout the country is a tendency to be on, on the safe side. And and to book acts and others that will not uh, that will not stagger anyone with outrage, um, that will not make people leave uh, an auditorium uh, crying. And and so there's this really fine line. We must never be afraid of ideas. We must never be afraid to present opposite viewpoints. On the other hand, I get why a college would not book somebody who said. Here are the ten funniest things about rape, uh-huh. and I don't think that is censorship. That is knowing your audience, knowing what you're trying to book, and having some standards. So it's a mixed bag. What about refusing to book a comic because in his act he'll occasionally say the f word, or because he says uh, critical things about President Trump and other politicians? He's a topical polit- uh, he, a comic. I have not heard of any limits on comics for that. And I'd love to know if that were happening, but mm-hmm. I don't believe that's the case. Yeah. You can listen to any late night television show and hear criticism of yes. President Trump. And in terms of the F word. Well, Bill Maher complains about it, but he doesn't have to work colleges anymore. He's rich. Yeah. I'm confident that Bill Maher could get booked if he's willing to play at college prices. <laughs> uh, I, I've never heard of anybody. I mean, we show movies on campus. There's, there's profanity. I mean, that's we have to be clear that the the young people of 2019 are not the young people of 1949. Mm-hmm. Society changes, and we should be booking interesting, thought-provoking people. Um, but I can understand gratuitous, avoiding gratuitous violence and sex for its own sake. I get that. Mm-hmm. What's the biggest misconception about the American concept of freedom of speech? Hmm. Uh, I think the biggest biggest notion is that uh, it, it applies to everybody at all times that, and you don't pay consequences for what you have to say. You know, um, if you say something outrageous and uh, you are absolutely free to say that. You can say it, you can tweet it, but you're not free from criticism. And if you say something stupid and somebody says to you, well, you're a fool, well, the First Amendment doesn't protect you from that. That's actually more free speech directed at you. The other is people don't seem to understand that it doesn't apply in the private sector. Right. You know, you could get fired. You could get fired. If you don't, in your workplace, you have no freedom of speech. You are, you've entered into a contract with your employer who says, here's what you're going to do for eight hours, and I don't want to hear your theories about conspiracies. And if you engage in those theories, 
you're gone. And that's perfectly okay. The First Amendment says Congress shall make no law. It doesn't say your boss shall make no law. And I don't want to hear you call Marie a good-looking broad or any of that nonsense. All of that can be governed in the private sector, and people don't get that either. The First Amendment protects us from government. And because government's really the only one that can make us shut up in public, that's the important one. Time for another break. We'll return in a moment. This is MTSU on the record. The Intercultural and Diversity Affairs Center helps to promote awareness and understanding of the wide variety of cultures represented at MTSU. The center provides information, referrals, and resources. Additionally, IDAC tries to make students from different cultures feel welcome and comfortable on campus so they can have every opportunity to fulfill their academic, social, and personal potential. For all the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. Women in Science and Engineering, or WISE, helps college women prepare for and become involved in science-related careers. WISE nurtures women's interest in these fascinating and critical fields and provides mentoring and networking opportunities. The group's main goal is to assure women of their importance in all scientific and technical fields and to promote equal opportunity and treatment of women in science. I'm Dr. Judith Iriarte-Gross, WISE advisor. For all the latest MTSU information, go to mtsunews.com. Ken Paulson, the Dean of the College of Media and Entertainment and the Director of MTSU's Free Speech Center and a free speech advocate for many decades, yea, verily. Uh, President Trump said at the White House Social Media Summit, and I quote, free speech is not bad when you see something good and then you purposely write bad. To me, that's very dangerous speech and you become angry at it, but that's not free speech. Do you have any idea what he meant? (laughs) You know, I I think he is saying in his way what every president has said uh, since the beginning. Uh, You know, George Washington, in the middle of his second term, went to Alexander Hamilton and said, I will not serve a third term because these notorious scribblers are making my life unpleasant. He had other reasons for not pursuing a third term. He was tired. He'd served this country well. But people in power do not like to be criticized. It takes a certain level of ego to be uh, to be a president, to be a governor, to be a mayor. And you want people to think highly of you. And so it's awfully easy to declare unflattering articles as fake news. But the truth is, and people find this hard to believe, that the most biased years in American journalism were its first years. And and when Washington and Jefferson and Monroe and Madison and that first generation of leadership uh, were in office, they were pilloried by the press. There was only a, one reason to start a newspaper in those days, really, to, it was to attack your political rivals. And these guys who got attacked every single day still said, you know what's important to prevent corruption? We need a free press. That's a lesson every president needs to know about. Jim Acosta of CNN doesn't cover the White House anymore. He's, he anchors, uh, but apparently it's because the Trump administration doesn't like him. And at one point, they yanked his press pass. Uh, to what extent does a reporter these days have to trade vigorous questioning for access? I'm not sure we're seeing much of that. Um, w- one of the first place, uh, I, I've been the editor-in-chief of USA Today, and if in any of the jobs where I was leading a newsroom, if a source objected to one of my reporters, you know, my response would be, they're doing a good job. You know, I would look at what they're doing. I'd look at their writing. I'd look and see what their performance was. But then I would just back them up and say, okay, Mm -hmm. 
they're going to be there. And if you don't want them there, um, we're not sending another reporter to cover your campaign announcement. Um, you know, we don't. You don't get to pick your reporter. Now, the Acosta thing is different, I think, in part because he's become sort of celebrity in this as well. And there's a fine line. If you become the news, you kind of have to be careful of that. Mm-hmm. So, so I don't think by any means that Acosta was kicked out or they succumbed to the president's demands. I don't think that's the case. I think it just got to be too much of a sideshow. Mm-hmm. And he's a good reporter. Let's use him somewhere else. I think given, uh, at least it's my perception, that given the multiplicity of controversy swirling around the Trump administration, that you could make the argument that the White House press corps sort of woke up and became more aggressive, more assertive, well, as things began to reveal themselves. Well, I think I think the press is pretty aggressive throughout his term, but uh, I will say that there's a perception from his supporters that they that the press has never been this aggressive, mm-hmm. and and I I don't do politics. That's mm-hmm. not my thing. That's I'm right. running nonpartisan center. Right. But you have to remember that schools of journalism teach you have to keep an eye out for people who don't tell you the truth, and the president has been known to bend some some lines here. Mm-hmm. Uh, people who promise to give you information and then don't. We're still waiting to see the income tax records. People who may have conflict of interest, you see a lot of that with the Trump administration. Everything that sets off a red flag for journalists is in President Trump's presidency. Little wonder that all these journalists are are hyper-tuned to what happens because everything that's told them, everything that signals to them that something wrong is going on here is right there in this administration. And if you're a supporter, I'm sure you believe it was taken out of context, that he's a good and moral man and he leads his country well, and you're entitled to that point of view. But I am telling you, professionals are trained in a way that these are like dog whistles. And they they hear hear the kinds of things being said about enemy of the press, and they react very aggressively. That's just the nature of things. And the White House and the Washington bureaucracy leak like a sieve, but then they always have. Right. That's absolutely true. Nothing new about that or unique to Trump about that. No. Uh, I, 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 I kind of have a sense that we haven't seen the sieve uh, to this extent since the Nixon administration. Though. Yeah. Because some people who are uh, career professionals uh, are are fed up with lines that they feel have been crossed that shouldn't have been. Right. In our volatile political climate, social media is being blamed for a lot of adverse effects on society because it's egalitarian, it's instantaneous, and it's relatively anonymous. Fair or unfair? You know, making a generalization about Social media is pretty impossible, just as it's it's wrong to make generalizations about the media. I don't know how that became a singular. Media is plural. Medium is singular. Exactly. We have probably 100,000 professional journalists in America, and some are Republicans, some are Democrats, some are neither, uh, and they work for different media. And what you're bundling then is Rush Limbaugh and the New York Times in a single entity as though met every Tuesday uh, at the National Press Club for a chapter meeting. That, that's not the case. It's, it's a world of diverse media, and it's a world of diverse social media. And so we see, I mean, I am confident that, uh, that Thomas Jefferson would have been a rabid 
uh, Twitter follower. He would have tweeted all day long. Uh, maybe Franklin uh, would have been on Snapchat. But uh, they, they would see this as a culmination of their dream when the First Amendment was established, a marketplace of ideas like none we've ever seen. I think in all candor what we are seeing, though, is we're seeing people as they are. And I'm not disappointed in social media. I'm disappointed in human beings. And I can't believe there's so much hatred and sexism and small-mindedness out there. And apparently it's been there all our lives. We were just kidding ourselves. And social media allows us to see that. So I can't blame social media for holding up a mirror, but I certainly am disappointed in the world around us. I can believe it. If you grew up in the South, you can believe it. Because if you're white, uh, people will say things to you because they think you're of like mind that they wouldn't say in so-called mixed company. But we're so we're sort of guilty, are we not, of, of using these shortcuts. I mean, the media are no more a, a, an amorphous mass than the African-American community is an amorphous mass. And yet we use these terms as a sort of a shorthand to help us write stories and tell stories. Well, some groupings uh, make more sense than others. You yeah. know, single mothers... That sort of makes sense. That's a very distinctive uh, uh, constituency with a set of specific legislative and support needs. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, yes, we're always going to, in any society of more than 300 million people, you're going to make some generalizations and group some people. But you have to be sure that they, they that, that group is small enough to be meaningful. What do you think is the biggest threat to freedom of speech in America today? Hmm. Complacency, a lack of uh, a lack of respect for the free exchange of ideas. Uh, the work we're going to do at the at the Free Speech Center is actually largely about marketing the First Amendment back to the American people. Uh, if anyone has an interest, I would urge you to go to One for All, the number one F O R A L L dot today, and that is where we have begun a national campaign on behalf of the First Amendment. It includes advertising, public service announcements, includes teaching material in classrooms. It includes grants to colleges. We are currently funding First Amendment projects on 25 different campuses across the country. We're making them our partner. Anything we can do to create an environment on a college campus where the First Amendment is a is a buzz is 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 something kicked around. In short, we're trying to make the First Amendment cool again, which is not easy to do with a, a product created in 1791. But uh, we want to put it um, front of mind. We want 19 and 20 year olds to understand that free speech is not just about shooting your mouth off. It is about exchanging ideas so you come to a better solution for society. And we have taken, we, all that's been short-circuited because we like to fight with each other and be outraged when, in fact, the most constructive thing we can do with free speech is to listen. Ken Paulson, thank you for letting us listen to you. It's been my pleasure. We'll be right back. The Middle Tennessee Writing Project is a program that fosters the effective teaching of writing to students in kindergarten through high school. The project hosts annual summer institutes where teacher participants teach and learn from each other effective techniques of teaching writing. In addition, the project sponsors summer writers camps for youngsters. MTSU is one of 185 sites of the National Writing Project and one of only two in Tennessee. For all the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. 
The MTSU Department of Art has the newest facility for visual arts in the state with approximately 50,000 square feet of space, including high-tech computers and computer-driven equipment for multimedia, graphic design, printmaking, sculpture, painting, and ceramics. We feature a visiting artist lecture program and an exhibition program that exposes students to work by national and international artists. To find out more, visit mtsunews.com. Jimmy Hart has the middle moment. That's MTSU on the record. I'm Jenna Logue. Thanks for listening. MTSU on the record, a news and information program about Middle Tennessee State University, is produced by the university's marketing and communications office, which is solely responsible for its content. Read more about MTSU at our website, mtsunews.com. Podcasts of this program are available at mtsunews.com and on iTunes.